Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are Always glad you're listening in, and welcome back today. We're going to talk about gardening for about an hour here, as we do every Thursday from 12 to 1. If uh, you know anybody who is interested maybe in a gardening show and they would maybe don't live in the area where they can hear us on the radio, they sure can listen online. Just remember, you can go to the KAMU-FM website and listen, or you can also listen by podcast after the fact. Our shows are podcast, and they're all post. They're also posted onto the KAMU website if you would be interested in that. So occasionally I'll hear from somebody that says, yeah, you said something on the air the other day, and it, I couldn't remember. I didn't write down what was it. Well, go to the podcast. It's there and plenty, plenty more good things to learn about. Uh, our phone number, if you would like to give us a call today, is 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Uh, and if you would like to email me, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And we have some interesting emails today. I'm kind of looking forward to getting to some of those. But I'm also looking forward to your calls. So let's talk about the things that you are interested in uh, when it comes to gardening. Uh, one, one of the things I did want to talk about today is we're kind of in that interim now between where we, the real cold weather hits, cold for Bryan College Station area, and uh, when things kind of slow down and they don't grow much, they're still alive and growing, but not a lot. And uh, in this interim, that is the time to get all the plants that we have, make sure we're ready to go on into the winter season. You know, our lawns, they we've been talking about lawn fertilizer for a while now, uh, and the lawn grass growth rate, the root growth rate, is, is slowed to a crawl. Uh, if we have some days where the temperatures are in the upper 70s, even the lower 80s, uh, then you're going to have grass growth again because the grass isn't truly dormant in the sense that like a deciduous tree would go dormant uh, and warm weather can get it growing again. Uh, but it's a little late now to be doing fertilizations. Uh, if you need to do one, if you've got a lawn that is just really struggling, uh, get you a fall type fertilizer and go ahead and apply it. Uh, don't overdo it. And uh, just, you know, maybe you'll get some benefits out of it because grass, grass roots can remain fairly active uh, whenever the soil temperatures are appropriate. And here our soil temperatures stay moderate uh, most of the winter time. And when I say fall fertilizer, what I'm talking about is a fertilizer that doesn't have a really high nitrogen number, the first number on the bag but one that has a little lower nitrogen than we would normally be using through the course of the spring and the summer season, uh, but it's got a good potassium content. That's the third number on the bag. You need nitrogen, uh, and you also need some potassium. 
in order to help build the winter hardiness. Uh, the reason we back off on nitrogen, actually there's more than one reason, but uh, one reason is we don't want to push the lawn into growth. Now I think at this point it's kind of hard to push it into a lot of growth uh, because of the temperature dropping in the weeks that we have to come. But we don't want to do that going into the winter season. The other reason, and this is probably the biggest one, is when you push a lawn with a lot of nitrogen and then we get a cold front where the temperatures drop down into a good moderate range and then we get some rainfall or you keep irrigating which you shouldn't be anymore at this time of the year uh, that adds up to brown patch which is now called large patch that's the big brown circles that you see in your lawn so plus they look a lot more distinct when you have a nice green lawn and you got these brown circles uh, and once you see the circles that spot is going to stay brown, that circle will stay brown all through the winter season. Uh, maybe a little greening up if we have some warm weather, but in general you have to wait till spring for the grass blades to regrow on all those runners in the brown area. And uh, so we don't want to uh, exacerbate that. We don't want to encourage that uh, by the way we care for our lawns. Mowing really low, very, very low, uh, is also another thing that can help make um, brown patch or, or large patch now uh, a little more uh, difficult. It, by the way, it is. I kind of walk a line between the proper names for things and the name everybody else knows. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if I were just talking to turf specialists, I would just use the word large patch because they know what that is, uh, because that is the new name. But 99.9% .9 of the home lawn care folks out there, the gardeners and the homeowners, they know the word brown patch. And so uh, if I say large patch, they think I'm talking about a different disease. And saying them both is really getting old. <laughs> I'm tired of doing both. So you may hear me use an old name every now and then just for the sake of communication. Because it doesn't matter what its name is. It matters what it does and what we do about it. Uh, <laughs> so there we go. Uh, so yeah, your lawn, uh, making sure it's in good health. Don't mow too short. That's that's not good. St. Augustine does not want to be a golf course green. Uh, it's not going to do well. It does better at a taller mowing height. And the thing that you also want to do for your lawns as we enter now the leaf drop season is make sure you keep the fallen leaves off the lawn surface. Now, a few leaves that you know are there for a little while is not a big deal, but when you get a good drop of leaves that is shading a significant portion of the lawn, that's stressful to the lawn. And I know St. Augustine is a shade tolerant plant, uh, but when you keep those leaves on it, you're doing two things. Number one, you're blocking out the sunlight. And even on winter days, if there's a little bit of green and a little mild temperatures, there can be some photosynthesis going on in the leaves of that plant. And so that's helpful. The other thing, though, that it does is it creates that nice, humid environment, uh, dark and humid, uh, with the leaves kind of slowing the drying of the grass plant parts. And I think that would also be something that would cause uh, diseases like uh, the large patch to get um, to get worse or to, to be more pronounced. Uh, so if you have had large patch every year and it's just an ongoing problem, uh, we, there's a, a short term and a long term thing you need to do. Short term is you need to get ahead of those circles and go ahead and use something that will prevent them. Because it's kind of like it's been happening every year. You know it's going to happen again then let's go ahead and get it down before the circles appear. It's one of the few times I recommend 
a fungicide application prior to seeing the start of a problem, or insecticides for that matter, uh, and, and get ahead of it. The second thing is the long term, and that is ask yourself, what are the cultural things I'm doing that predispose that lawn to that disease? Because if you look around town, there are a lot of lawns that have almost no uh, large patch in them each fall, uh, very little, if any. And what's the difference? Well, a, a lot of times the difference is the things that I'm talking about, from mowing height to amount of uh, continual wetness due to rain and our irrigating, and then the nitrogen levels and things like that. So uh, you want to grow yourself out of problems. And I, I tell people all the time that uh, the secrets to a healthy, beautiful lawn, dense lawn, is mowing, watering, and fertilizing. And I know I can look in the eyes and say, See, they're saying, yeah, I, I know you need to mow water and fertilize a lawn. What are you telling me? Well, when you do each one correctly, you build a dense lawn. So a huge portion of our residential turf weeds are done away with by creating a very dense lawn where sunlight cannot hit the soil because it's shaded out by grass blades. And even a little bit of grass clippings decomposing on the surface of, of the soil there, too. Uh, that So mowing is important, mowing at the right height, not stressing the grass by letting it get real tall and then cutting it way back low again. Uh, proper mowing is important, a sharp mower blade, and on and on down the line. Watering, uh, you know, we just went through this hot, dry summer, and a lot of lawns uh, just, it was like you couldn't water them enough to keep them going, it seemed like, to people. And then we have lawn uh, watering restrictions that, that kick in. And watering with a good deep soaking on a very infrequent basis. Uh, in, my, in my yard, in, in sunny areas, I water it about once a week uh, and with a good soaking and then allowing it to dry out. In shady areas, I may go longer than that uh, because in shade, the water use is dramatically lower than the water use in full blazing sun on your St. Augustine lawn. And so don't water so much. And when you do, wet the soil deeply so that soil bank account of moisture will help the grass get through days and days and days of uh, not having enough water. Or excuse me, not enough rainfall. And it's starting to dry out a little bit. So that's, that's a couple things that I think are important uh, than to mow water. And then the fertilizing means giving the grass the nutrients it needs and the ratio it needs and not overdoing it. Uh, St. Augustine, I, I would put it this way, uh, St. Augustine is naturally kind of a chartreuse green grass. Uh, now, it, it, can, it can be very chartreuse green, but uh, when you go for the total emerald, deep emerald green, you are pushing it pretty hard with nitrogen to achieve that. And I'm not saying everybody's lawn should look chartreuse. I'm just saying it, it's, its color is a little lighter than a lot of people want it to be. And so when you over-fertilize, you increase problems. In the summertime, uh, gray leaf spot is much worse when you're creating a lot of succulent growth. And then I already talked about large patch in the fall. Uh, so what we want to do is we want to feed our lawns adequately so they don't lack for nutrients, uh, but we don't want to overdo it. Mow, water, and fertilize. It's as simple as that. Over time, you build a denser lawn. Now, I, I have to give the caveat and that is that we have weeds that can survive in a dense St. Augustine lawn. 
One example would be uh, Virginia buttonweed. Uh, another example would be fall aster. That's the little daisy-like flowers you're seeing right now. Uh, another example, let's see, what's another good one? Uh, dichondra and wet area, or uh, dollarweed and wet areas, uh, dichondra in many areas, but especially the dollarweed. Those can survive in St. Augustine, even when it's dense. But that's the exceptions. The majority of the weeds we deal with a good, dense, healthy lawn takes care of it. So you just be patient and grow your way out of it. That would be helpful. Our phone number, if you'd like to give us a call today, is 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, I want to go to a couple of emails that I have. Uh, Joe has a very large, uh, older crepe myrtle uh, that half of the tree has died and the other half is still alive. Uh, and the question is, is he going to lose the whole tree? What do you do? And looking at the pictures, I think that that is from old damage from cold, most likely. Uh, but th that's what it appears to me to be, uh, that maybe the freeze of February 21 got to it and then some other issues just exacerbated the problem. Uh, I would just take the dead side off at the base and leave the other side and it looks like it's going to be just fine. The thing to keep in mind is where those two were rubbing together, there is a lot of, of uh, the term is included bark, uh, where there isn't a connection wood to wood, but instead there's a, there is a, uh, a gap in there. And you may find that the, part, the half you leave is not really well anchored uh, on that side. So there's a little bit of a maybe exposure to the interior wood when you remove the dead half of the tree. Nothing to do about that except have time start to fill it in. Uh, and that can, be, that can be really, really helpful. Uh, what's it, what else on this one? Yeah, that I think that's all that I would suggest. Uh, and probably go ahead and get it done. There's no benefit in leaving that other part to the tree. Just take that, take that half out and leave the, the other half, and I think it'll fill in uh, just fine for you. Uh, and this is just, we don't have a lot of uh, what's going on around towns today, but I do want to mention that the Post Oak chapter of the Native Plant Society of Texas, and the Post Oak chapter is our local chapter here in Bryan College Station area. Uh, they're going to have on December 9th, that's a Saturday, uh, the, at the Gary Halter Nature Center, which is at Lick Creek Park, which is, for those of you new to the area, if you are down in College Station and you take Rock Prairie to the east, cross over the bypass and head out that way on Rock Prairie, uh, you will get to Lick Creek Park heading down that road. They're going to have a seed exchange, and this is kind of a cool thing. Uh, with the seed exchange, you know, you, you get to bring your seeds, and, and uh, other people bring their seeds, and there's a little swapping going on. But it's for native seeds, by the way. Make sure it's for, for native seeds. Uh, and if you want information on how do you clean your seeds, how do you short, uh, sort them, excuse me, and, uh, you know, how do you prepare them and germinate them and plant them and everything? They're going to give you information on all of that. Again, that's the Post Oak Chapter Native Plant Society, December 9th, which is Saturday, uh, a Saturday at 1.30 p.m. in Lick Creek Park. Uh, and if you need more information, you can dial 936-661-6969. 
We are going to now go to the phones and our phone number again, 845-5689. We're going to talk to Bertie. Hello, Bertie. Hi, Skip. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Hey, I have a question for you. I purchased a um, tree that's called Sienna, uh, Cassia. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be a perennial. Yes. And, and um, it seems to have uh, some kind of mildew. And I sent you two pictures, and I also sent you a picture of the um, Mexican petunia who that has mildew. Okay. And know if the singa uh, um, cassia it has the same kind of issue it's got little spots but it's not evergreen it's mostly spotty yeah i see those spots um i don't know what that is i don't think that's a mildew if it's on the top surface and you wipe it and it goes away you know you wipe your thumb over it it goes away okay. then it is something like that but i think it's maybe where an insect has stuck its mouth into the leaves and sucked some of the juices out and created those little white spotty mm -hmm. areas. But it's nothing to worry about now. Those leaves are coming off. Cassia is deciduous in our climate. And if we have a real bad cold spell, you need to cover it up uh, because it, it, can, it can be killed back to the ground. Yeah, I just got it this year at the plant sale. Okay. I was surprised it said evergreen and on the little label. Uh -huh. And been evergreen hasn't so i didn't know i did treat it with neem oil but that didn't seem to really stop the progress oh okay well uh i would uh yeah i would i would just not worry about it right now and just go on the amount of damage too that was done is so so minimal that uh mm -hmm. it's nothing to really to really worry about i i think that's fine cassie is beautiful when it blooms by the way and did yours bloom this fall I did get yellow flowers, and they were very pretty, so I, I liked that. But I didn't know if it was the extreme heat or too much water or not enough water or yeah. whatever. Anyway, that was, and on the Mexican petunia, it has that white. It looks like mildew. I mean, I haven't tried to rub it off, but um, it's the large Mexican petunia. Mm -hmm. And I kept it back to try to cut out the white, whatever it was. What do uh -huh. you recommend? Well, also treat Neem oil. Okay. Believe it or not, that is not a mold on a Mexican petunia. That is a type oh. of mite damage. Uh, very unusual. It's not what you would expect from like spider mites. They wouldn't create that symptom. But that's a type of mite that is, uh, it attacks Mexican petunia and it causes those white, blotchy, almost cottony, well, they are cottony looking little areas on the leaf. Uh, and they're kind of difficult to control. Uh, you know, we control spider mites. Uh, there are insectis or there are products that are miticides that are very effective against uh, spider mite. Uh, but in general, uh, sometimes people will use oils and soaps and things. Uh, you would just have to spray a lot uh, in order to stay ahead of those on Mexican petunia. By the way, the, the type of mite is called eriophid mite. Uh, and so that's... That's what it is. Uh, Mexican petunia is so tough, as you know. Uh, yeah. You could go in there. They're going to die back anyway in the winter, but you could go in and cut the whole thing off, the whole patch out off at the ground, and it would just pop back up with fresh new growth, uh, you know, in warm. I can trim it rather radically, and it won't. Yeah. Okay. Right. It'll come uh, back. It will not hurt it at all. I would trim it all out now, bag it up, and just get it out of there because there's a lot of mites in that debris. 
Uh, and it'll yeah. it'll come back. Uh, you might want to wait to the first freeze to do it, just so you don't get tender new growth and then the freeze hits. Uh, but yeah, that's it. It's a good tough plant, but boy, does it ever have aspirations of taking over the world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Control it. I've given it to a, a neighbor, and I warned her, and she didn't believe me. And now she came back and said, "Oh, it's really going all over the place." I said, "I told you." Yeah. Anyway, but she liked the flowers it? because it attracts the butterflies and hummingbirds yes. and all. Kind of thing, it's so. a great, great plant. Well, hey, Bertie, it's good to hear your voice again. It's been a while, so I hope this sure. helps and and have fun with all those those yeah, plants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my old faithful is neem oil, but I couldn't get that to work. And then anyway, okay. Well, thank you, Skip. I appreciate the information. Yeah, and neem oil wouldn't be a bad idea either uh, on it when when you have new growth next year and you first start to see those things. But coverage is critical, uh, Bertie, on any kind of mite oil uh, application, because if you don't get the mites, if you don't give them a bath in the oil spray, they're not going to be killed. So it's not a poison. It smothers them. Well, and I wasn't doing it regularly. I had to go out of town all the time. And so I did it and I saw it and then came back. And it, I, I think if I would have been more consistent with it, it probably would have done better. So all right. on both of them. Well, okay. Thank, Thank you. You, you, t you take care. Yes, sir. Our phone number is 979-845-5689. We're going to go back to the phones uh, and talk to, let me see. I gotta, I, my brain doesn't hold names. Pauline. Hey, Pauline. How are you today? Hello. Um, I am calling about two different things. First, brown patch and then crepe myrtles. Okay. On the brown patch you were talking about, large patch, I have read that a chemical called azoxystrobin is effective. I'm just wondering if you agree with that. And I'm particularly interested in anything that comes in granular form because I hate spraying stuff. Right. Well, sometimes sprays give you better coverage and, and they're a better choice. But uh, let's see, azoxystrobin, I don't... I. <laughs> I think it's just going to be something you mix up in a liquid, but I could be wrong on that. I'm, okay. I may be. I may be. Well, I may be wrong on that. When wherever you go buy your supplies, uh, just just ask them what they have. I would use the azoxystrobin okay. here. Now it it'll help with the brown patch, but it also uh, is probably our best option against take all root rot. And when our nighttime temperatures are in the 55 range. Uh, take all is very happy to be doing attacking. So in the fall and in the spring, both, uh, we have to fight it. And it and it is a disease that is best prevented versus now my lawn is half dead from it. How do I cure it? That That is an uphill battle that we probably won't win. Uh, so uh, in doing the control of the large patch, brown patch, you're able to also get a benefit in terms of holding back take all root rot. Okay. Um, would you, do you recommend spot treating areas where the fungus is obvious, or do you recommend treating the whole yard? I would, oh boy, uh, if it's the large patch, it often will occur in areas that stay a little wetter, but it also is unpredictable. So I think I would do the whole mm -hmm. yard just to be sure. Okay. 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 All right. Um, now, I'd like to move to crepe myrtles. Um, I have, and I have noticed all around town, well-established crepe myrtles that have just looked pitiful. And 
it's not the previous email talked about one part of the tree being dead, but it's very thin um, foliage, uh, some obvious dead small branches. But, you know, I waited all summer long. Uh, there was a little bit of bloom, but nothing like, you know, what it has been in the past. And so I'm just wondering at what point would it be smart to just cut the whole tree down to the ground and let it re-sprout? And should that be done now or in the spring? Yeah, so that's going to be uh, hard for me to answer, not being there, seeing the tree and the history of it and everything. But if if you're looking at the tree and it is so marred and died, it's died back so far that essentially it's aesthetically not going to be what you want it to be if you cut everything dead out of it. Then I would consider going back to the ground. Some of our some of our plants were killed back to the ground by the December freeze mm -hmm. last year, and it it caught crepe myrtles really uh, unprepared, and I'd not ever seen that before, uh, but it did. And so a lot of people were cutting the trunks all the way to the ground and then selecting uh, however many trunks they wanted to have. It could be a single trunk tree, or it could be like one with three trunks that then branch out, just like when you buy them in the store, they come in different forms. Uh -huh. uh, and then cutting all the other suckers off. If you do that, when you remove those suckers, you want to cut them as close to their attachment as you can. At the base of where that sucker shoot, that long, straight, lanky shoot is coming up, at the base, it's almost, it swells out like, you know, kind of like as if there was a Hershey's Kiss sitting there on the on the side of the trunk, mm -hmm. base of the trunk with a branch coming out of the, the sucker coming out of the center. If you can remove that whole swollen Hershey's Kiss area at the bottom, uh, there are different ways to do it. It's kind of hard to do with, with pruners. There's a lot of buds right there that when you cut it off, if you leave a little one-inch stub, you're just going to have a bunch more from each branch, each sucker that you remove. But I would, I would get that as best I could. And then there's a product called Sucker Stopper. Sucker Stopper. And it, ba it basically is a plant hormone. Uh, hormones control everything and on the plant. And what this one does is it causes that suckering to not occur, or at least to be greatly minimized. Uh, and I would treat it with that. Otherwise, you are just going to have this thick bush of suckers yeah. coming out around the bottom. Maybe I have a root saw, a corona root saw. And so maybe that would be a way to get real close to the uh, whole yeah. trunk. Yeah, you could, you could that do that. Out. You, you could try that. Okay. Just uh, then finish that off while it's a still fresh cut with the sucker stopper spray. Okay. okay. Well, let me just ask you um, in terms of telling whether you think uh, <laughs> the tree is dead. I mean, it still has a little bit of foliage, but um, most of it's gone right now. So do you think it's too early? Because I have seedlings, uh, crepe myrtles sprouting, and they're fine, and they have not lost their leaves. Well, it, it I, I've seen some considerable leaf drop on crepe myrtles and but a lot of them still have their leaves uh, it just could be part of the whole problem on this tree then that is that it's very very stressed and so it does drop its leaves yeah. a little early okay. okay and it's a northerly exposure so i think that's probably it all right well thank you very much have a happy thanksgiving all right thank you i appreciate the call we're going to go back to the phones now uh 845-5689 and we're going to talk to randy hello randy hello how are you I'm well, thank you. I have a question. I got I've got 
three live oaks in my yard, three live oaks, very big. And for this year, I've never seen this before, but they've dropped more acorn. I mean, biblical proportions of acorns okay. just deep in my yard. Okay. Just like, I mean, too deep. And my question is, because since I've never seen this before, I mean, should I be concerned? Should I try to get those up or just let them be? I mean, I'm, I'm pulling them off the, the sidewalk where it's very easy to do. Yeah. But, I mean, it looks like I'm, my grass is acorns now. Yeah, I, I've seen that around town. I was just in San Antonio yesterday in a house that the driveway was almost invisible because of all the acorns <laughs> sitting on top of the driveway. Uh, I, it's one yeah. of those years, and I am not a, uh, a tree specialist. Uh, you know, talking to a forester uh, or somebody like that, they could probably go into detail. I know different oaks have different uh, frequencies that they drop acorns. Some may be every other year or something like that. I do know that uh, climatic factors can also affect that, uh, but it's not a sign that that oak is about to die or anything. No, no, I'm not worried about that as, as much as I'm worried about should I try to get those acorns up? I mean, should I, because I mean, do they, I've never, never seen this many, and it looks like they would just cause problems for the yard, you know, since yeah. they're, well, you know, since they're, polluting it you know, yeah more or less. well they'll sprout they'll make little trees but your lawnmower when they're little seedlings like that the lawnmower takes care of mm. them pretty good uh so i don't generally worry about them i mean i i guess you could run uh something over the lawn to try to vacuum up a bunch of them but that would be very tedious and then you'd be pulling up a lot of your surface organic matter which is actually helping you out uh there so uh, okay. i think i would uh as I like to say, I'd, I'd, I'd say that problem is solved. I'm going to move on to world peace. I'll, I'll <laughs> see if I can fix that one. <laughs> okay. All right. I appreciate it. Hey, Randy, you take care. I appreciate your, your call very much. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I want to go back to the emails. Um, I had a, uh, a question come in, and, and boy, this was a – now I'm trying to find it. There it is. Uh, Jeff sent me a picture of a Christmas cactus, and folks – I've never heard of a Christmas cactus this old before, uh, but it came from his great-grandmother in Sweden, uh, and then his grandmother inherited it. So what does that tell you about this thing? Uh, when he was born, uh, that was uh, about 71 years ago, uh, he was given some little, those little leaves, you break off the little stems on the Christmas cactus, put them in the ground, they root. Uh, and he was given five of those, so he would have one. And I mean, so this is quite the historic tree. And and uh, it's showing some severe wilting. It's just drooping and doesn't look really good at all. There's not, a, it's not very robust. Now, I don't know on these kind of plants if at some point they age so much that uh declines and things are more likely uh you know the old tissues and whatnot i think in nature probably pieces break off and hit the ground and keep growing uh but i would uh when i look at it the one i think it's been watered i would make sure that it's not too wet that is something it cannot tolerate despite the fact that it has cactus in its name it's not a dry climate plant it grows in, think of more of a jungle-like environment uh, where there is moisture. Uh, it doesn't want to be soggy wet. You, If you overwater them, you will kill them with root rot. Uh, but at some point, underwatering them, they're going to have a problem with that too. And then the fluctuations between the two. 
can create a problem. Uh, in that particular container, because of the way it constricts going toward the top, you can't just turn it on its side and slide the root ball out to take a look. Uh, but for now, I would give it some time to definitely dry out a little bit. Uh, and you can check that. Uh, you can dig down with your finger a little bit and feel the soil uh, just to check it. But, you know, an inch or so below the surface. Another trick that people use on houseplants, and I've done this before, uh, is they sh you sharpen a pencil. And that fresh sharpened edge of the pencil, you push it down in the soil. And then you pull it back out. And of course, if that wood is wet, well, then you know it's wet. But even if it has moist soil sticking to it, then you know it's moist down there. If it comes out dry and nothing's sticking to it, it's dry down there. It's kind of like uh, when people bake a cake. Some people will put a, um, a toothpick into the cake and pull it out, and that's a way of telling, you know, is it is it cooked inside properly? It's the same thing with the soil. So that's a little pencil-type thing, trick, uh, an assessment that you can do, uh, but it needs to be a sharpened uh, pencil so that that fresh wood is right there at the surface, not wood that's had the oil of somebody's fingers on it and whatnot. Uh, but give that a try and see. It, it looks like it may be a little on the wet side to me. As far as what else to do, boy, I don't know. But I tell you what I would do. Uh, I would definitely, um, if there's any uh, turgor pressure, if there's any, if the, if the uh, little we call them leaves, they're not leaves, they're stem tissue, but uh, if the leaves, what, what you think of as a leaf on a Christmas cactus, uh, if any of those have some some plumpness to them, you know, they're not just wilted and, and floppy and soft, uh, I would break some of those off and stick them in the ground and get you another one started. So at least that, uh, that plant that has, gosh, how many years family history has that plant had? Uh, a long, long, long time. Uh, at least then that would go on in the story. You know, plants are all about stories, really. Uh, that's what makes some things so interesting. A little, there are a lot of plants, like take the, um, I'm getting off the topic, but that's okay. Uh, take the Peggy Martin rose. That, that's a beautiful climbing rose. It's a wonderful rose to have. If you haven't been out to the Antique Rose Emporium and seen the one they have there on a trellis, oh my gosh, next maybe April, go out there and take a look at it. It's gorgeous. Uh, but uh, th that plant has a story. Uh, when uh, the hurricane uh, a while back hit um, New Orleans, the severe hurricane uh, that left everything underwater for weeks, uh, that plant was underwater. Uh, and after, like I think, a couple of weeks, I probably don't have the story exactly right, but after a couple of weeks of seawater inundating that plant, the darn thing survived. Uh, and the lady who had it, his name's Peggy Martin, and so cuttings were made, and uh, Dr. Bill Welch here, uh, Texas A&M AgriLife Horticulture Department, um, the, he uh, helped spread that around, and as did others. And Peggy Martin's now a famous rose. But part of the coolness of it is it's got a story. And a lot of plants have a story like that. And boy, your, your uh, Christmas cactus definitely, definitely has a story. Uh, so uh, let it dry out a little bit, not powder dry all the way through, but, but let's get the excess out of there. Hopefully it'll be okay. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you can find some somewhat, um, you know, firm little pads on the stem sections, uh, I would go ahead and just as a hedge your bet, uh, back it up by putting those uh, in, in soil. Uh, and the roots will come right out of the base of a segment. 
So if you've, as it goes up, creating segment after segment, if you break one off, where you where you broke it off there at the base, just put that right at the, just barely under the surface of the soil, and it will it will form roots from that point, and uh, then you'll be back in business. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. That is a a very very cool, uh, a cool thing, Jeffrey. So let's see here. That was that was a kind of fun one uh, to go through. Uh, what's other questions that we have? Uh, Anne uh, has a question. Uh, on, can I give advice on choosing a broad fork for purchase? A uh, little concerned about man-made handles and how strong tines are on that type. Well, that is a great question, Anne. Um, I studied that for a while because I was in the market for a broad fork. And uh, the, the you will find some type that have round tines that are maybe uh, the size of your little finger or smaller, uh, about the size of your little finger. Uh, those those can bend. Uh, there, in fact, there are a lot of types that the tines bend or something breaks. Uh, I found one type, and I don't generally, you know, recommend brands and and stuff like that. But I know, I know of. Um, oh boy, gosh, I'm gonna have to remember the name of the company. Uh, I'll think of it here in a minute. Uh, but uh, it has. Uh, iron tines that are um, just like flat pieces of metal with uh, almost like angle iron if you think of it like that but it's, it's a different shape and the, the, it is welded together it is powder coat, coat painted and just extremely tough you can buy it with metal handles or you can buy it with wooden handles and yes anytime you have a wooden handle it could snap off uh, but here's the thing on broad forks uh, they if your soil is a heavy clay, and let's say it's on the dry side, well, no broad fork is going to be able to go the full depth of what most of them go about 11 inches or so and, and break up that kind of soil. That's just too much. So you'd have to go about three or four inches and break it up, water the soil, let it soak in for a few days, and then go another three or four inches and go back over it. Once you have soil that's well worked, then it's easy to use a broad fork. And it, for those of you who are going, what is a broad fork? Well, imagine a spading fork on steroids that had tines that are just way stronger than it. And, and they can be, uh, let's see, about, about 20 inches across. Uh, and you stand on the bar, hold the two hand, handles, which are side by side. And the nice thing about them is if you've ever used a spading fork and messed up your back, you know what I'm talking about there. This one, you don't stoop. You just stand on it and then you just lean back and your weight cracks the soil open on those tines. It is a really, really cool thing. And one of these days I'm going to get in here. Let me see if I can find a picture uh, of the one that I am trying to find. Uh, we will eventually get there uh, in just a second. I tell you what, Mary, I'm going to come back to your question and keep, or Ann, excuse me, I'm going to keep answering it. We're going to go right now to the phones and talk to John. Hello, John. Good afternoon. Uh, several, I think it's about two weeks ago, Mary sent a picture in, and it was a, it was showed kind of a broad stem with a, with a knot on top of it, which I think was a seed pod. And uh, let me look here. Oh, oh, no, I do not know what that is. And I was on the phone uh, with Chris Weisinger the other day uh, from Southern Bulbs, and I was going to okay. ask him what it is. John, I 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to forward this to my work email. So every day when I go to work, I have to look at it. Uh, and that'll remind me. Uh, that's unusual. That coloring, uh, are, are those are those bulbs or is that off the top of the plant? Is that like the seed seeds up on that's, top? That's the top of the plant. It is a bulb. Uh-huh. And, it, and, an, and a critter must have planted it because we didn't. And... Uh, and it, the first year, there was just one of those stems. It was a beautiful white, multi-faceted lily thing on the top of it. Okay. And, but in the next couple of years, I mean, it, it now has uh, three or four or five stems and and some, you know and a, and a multitude of flowers. Well, what did the blooms look like when it bloomed? It's they're white and. Uh, they almost look like, I mean, what I call a spider lily, but okay, uh, but I, I, they're white, and they and it seems like to me they have yellow pieces that stick out of it. Okay, I well, if you, do you and Mary happen to have uh, photos of the blooms? Do you ever take a picture of the bloom? You know, we went through the. <clears throat> I think we do, but we spent oh. A lot of time trying to find a mm-hmm. picture went back years, and we, we never, yeah. we never could find that picture. But we both remember taking yeah. pictures of it. Okay, so, uh, but it, but it was a oh, white, white spidery. I'm go, sorry. Go ahead. I'm. Uh, it was white and spidery flower. Yeah, and but next year when it and it's it, and I'm I, it's still there. I mean it's it's gone dormant now, uh, but. I'm sure that next year okay. it's going to bloom again, and I'm going to take a picture of All it. right. Well, I'll, I'm going to keep working on it, uh, and I'll, I will get back to you if I can find anything on it. I'm wondering, uh, that that is a cluster of blooms, I can tell. It was a cluster of blooms up at the top. Uh, so I'll see what I can find, but thanks for reminding me of that. The uh, that, that bulb or that knot that's at the top of the stem, the flower is on top of that. I mean, it's... It come it comes out of that. I think that I think that fat part is just below the flower. Okay. But I can't be sure. Well, we will figure it out one way, uh, one way or another. Uh, that okay, that, we'll that just, looks we'll pretty cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? We'll put it on next year's list. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, it's a pretty cool one. Everything else going good out there at the at the place with all your yeah, horticultural yeah, endeavors. Uh, <laughs> We're we're eating out of the garden and hoping it stays forty plus for at least another two or three weeks. Yeah, we'll see. That would be nice. All right. Well, you take care. I appreciate appreciate it, and I will keep going on it. And don't hesitate to let me know if you don't hear from me in a little bit here, because okay, uh, I've I've attempted it a couple of times and then uh, ended up um, getting sidetracked on something else. So <laughs> you know how that happens. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Please. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Thank you for the call very much. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm going to go back now to uh, the email from Ann on the Broad Forks, and I found the company that, that uh, I, after doing all the research that I could find, this one was excellent. 
uh, my experience with them in terms of uh, customer service was unbelievable, uh, unbelievable. And the uh, the product, I've used it, and it, it it's a good one. And it's Treadlight, T-R-E-A-D-L-I-T-E, Treadlight. They're way up in... I don't know, Wisconsin or someplace, Minnesota, someplace up like that on the uh, up toward Canada. Uh, and it, it's very interesting. Go check it out. Uh, they have a number of models, various widths. You can get wood or metal handle. They are not cheap, but uh, they last forever. And a lot of a lot of market gardeners and others now, uh, they have gotten their soil right by, you know, breaking it up, adding organic matter, building it. And now they just go down their bed rows with the tread fork. It's kind of in between tilling and not tilling, if you will. Uh, you're not turning the soil over. You're certainly not pounding it with a rototiller. You're just cracking it open uh, and loosening it up and, and organic matter falls down in there. Uh, it doesn't just pulverize the soil, which has its own negative effects. Uh, and it works pretty good. Uh, just a customer service. Uh, sound like I'm I'm selling their products here, but I'm telling you, it's a good one. <laughs> I did a lot of searching. I actually ordered myself one of those, and one of my daughters bought me one for Christmas. And this company noticed that two of these were going to the same house to the same person, and they actually held up on shipping mine. And I called them and said, uh, and said, hey, that should have been here already. And they, well, let us look into it. Come to find out, they were, they knew I was getting one for a gift. And so they, a small enough mom and pop operation that they uh, actually uh, did that, which I found, yeah, that's a rare thing in this day and time. But anyway, Treadlight Broad Forks, that's the one. There's a lot of others on the market, but you check it out. I, this is one I've used and I really like it. <laughs> I'm amusing myself because that, that is such a sales, sounds like such a sales job, but it's not. I get nothing from Treadlight for saying what I just said. Uh, it, but it's rare, though. You know, on a lot of things, there's a lot of good models and types and stuff out there. Uh, and I, I just found in the Broad Fork, that was, that was uh, I learned a lot uh, searching for them. So, Anne, that was like a five-hour-long answer to your question. <laughs> I hope that helped. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. I just want to remind you on emails, uh, I try to say this each show that I can remember to say it. Uh, I don't have the time to sit down and type out replies to each email here. I have my own email at the AgriLife Extension Office here in Brazos County uh, and then and other emails. And so it, I just am not able. When I come into the station, I try to handle the ones I can online. Uh, so if you, if you didn't hear uh, an answer to your question, go online and listen to the show uh, after you sent that question or, or during which you sent that question. Uh, and you can listen to past shows at KAMU-FM. Just look for Garden Success and find that. And just I just want you to know I'm not ignoring you. It's just the best I can do is take those emails and uh, answer them on the air. A lot of times the thing about emails is you may have a question and somebody else will too. Like the crepe myrtle question we were talking about uh, with Joe, just or that Joe emailed me about a little bit earlier. Uh, a lot of people have had crepe myrtles die back to varying degrees. Some of them just a few outer branches, some of them the whole plant. And so answering his question, I think, will probably help a lot of other folks uh, that have that too. You know, the interesting thing in horticulture is as many times we see things, do things, try things, and all of that, there's always something new. You know, I've been doing this 35 years now as a 
County AgriLife Extension horticulture agent. Uh, a lot longer than that as a lifetime gardener, and I had not seen the crepe myrtle dieback before. I just thought they're plenty hardy for our area, uh, and it was a December freeze just down in the teens that did it. So that tells us a little something. Let's go back to the phones, and we're going to talk to Carolyn. Hello, Carolyn. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I've got a question. We we live out in the country, surrounded everywhere by pastures, built a house, had some landscaping done, and we mulch every year. And where the plants aren't real dense, I just get incredible weeds. And uh, we actually don't live here, but we're here in the winter, and we're here a couple of we're here all through the early uh, early part of the winter. Okay. And. The, when I get here, the first thing I have to do is weed. And I'm just wondering if there's anything, is there any kind of a ground cover or something that I could put down that would help break up those weeds? Are you talking about like a fabric or are you talking about a plant ground cover? Plant. Okay. A plant. Well, there there are, are, are you, you're not there during the summer? No, we come uh, for about 10 days in the summer and it's all we can stand. We live okay. in New Hampshire. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you must have an automatic watering system that's taking yes, care of we things. Do. Okay. Well, if you have that, you could have a ground cover. Uh, is the area full sun, full shade, or somewhere in between? It gets um, dappled west sun and some south sun. Okay. Uh, so, Asian jasmine is a ground cover that is used widely around town that uh, right. you can you can use. Uh, it does vine and grow, so when you show back up after, you know, almost a year of absence, you're going to find that you got a lot of cutting it back to get it back in shape, but that's that would be an option. Um, I, I'm perplexed by the fact that mulching isn't doing the trick. Now, we have weeds that are perennial, like Bermuda grass, Johnson grass, and others that will come right through a mulch, not, not sedge, not grass. But, uh, I do in, get some, some Jack's uh, Johnson grass, and I get that one that has a little tiny leaves, and you pinch it, and it's kind of milky, and then I get the ones that look like a shamrock. Okay. Well, the oxalis is the shamrock, and spurge is the milky. Uh, and those, you got to have bare soil for them to, to come up and grow. So maybe you're not mulching enough, or maybe the mulch is too coarse so that, you know, big old chunks, the light can kind of go through there if it's only a couple inches deep. I would try to get that mulch three inches deep and make sure you got a good solid coverage. Uh, and I think that should take care of most of it. Now, if you got it that thick, it should last for a year unless it's on a slope and rains tend to wash it away. Uh, but that would be my first thought. But if you wanted to do a ground cover, Asian jasmine would be uh, one option that you might find useful. There are some other ground covers, but they're not going to provide quite the density of cover. And one thing about the Asian jasmine too, Carolyn, is uh, it is um, it, it sometimes is a challenge to go in there and get the weeds out. You know, it's one thing to be dealing with them in bare soil, and it's another when you got a ground cover and you're trying to get in there and get the weeds out in the midst of that ground cover. Right. Could I use just a weed whacker to control the height of the Asian jasmine? 
You can. Yeah, that's what they do. Uh, I just have never, you know, thought about or seen a situation where, you know, the plants go through almost a year and then you come back to, to take care of them again. Th that is one, I guess, let me know how that works <laughs> because I, okay. I've, I've not, yeah, I, I don't know what happens. I've never seen Asian jasmine taken care of once a year only, but I think it would be okay. Uh, you, you're okay. going to have it We usually sprawling. mulch. We usually mulch when we do the cutback of the the, gra the pink muley and the grasses like that that we okay. have. Mm -hmm. Is February the right time to mulch, or should I be doing it later in the season? Any month of the year. Any month is the right time to mulch. Uh, just just put a good, thick mulch down, one that when you come back in a year, it's not going to be all gone. Uh, so Right. That, I'll try that first. I would try that, and I think you will find that to be successful. Uh, I would... You know, some people like to use those fabrics and put mulch on top of them. I'm not a big fan of that because as the mulch decomposes, uh, then weed seeds land in the mulch and they can actually root by. Uh, and then that fabric is a mess to try to work with and get out of there. So I would just use, just do like the forest floor. Just just keep it mulched the whole year round. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. I appreciate the help. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the call. That, that's interesting. I've had some unusual kinds of questions today. That's good. Uh, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Uh, looks like we got one more announcement in terms of what's going on around town, and that is this Saturday, November 14th, I say around town, the John Ferry Garden Nursery, which is in Hempstead, Texas, uh, 2559 FM 359 Hempstead. But just write down John Ferry, F-A-I-R-E-Y, Garden Nursery. It's going to be an open garden day again. Uh, they do charge for the tours, uh, and that's uh, $15 for non-members. The tours on this Saturday, November 18th, will leave at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m. You need to arrive, arrive ahead of time so you can sign in before your tour. If you would like more information, oh, and I only have half of their phone number. Uh, sorry, can't provide the other the other half, but look for John Ferry Garden Nursery in Hempstead, and you can find a lot of information online. We're going to go back to the phones now and talk to Carol. Hello, Carol. Hi, Skip. Um, I just wanted to ask you, I've got uh, some huge fiddly pigs, and they're like eight feet tall, but I, I need to air layer because they're very leggy, and, of course, the bottom of the stems don't have any leaves on them. Yes. So can you help me with air layering? Yeah, uh, air layering, you can go online and find a lot of good information on air layering. Uh, let me see, I'm gonna look here. Air layer, A&M has some stuff on that too. Uh, some of the other uh -huh. extension services have a really good um, uh, information on air layering. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what A&M uh -huh. has real quick here. Um, okay. There we go. Uh, I can't do, I can't talk and type at the same time. So Aggie Horticulture, there's a publication called Air Layering for Difficult uh -huh. to Root Plants. And so okay. if you just go to the Aggie Horticulture website, it's aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu and type in, there's a little tiny search box up at the top right 
and it says powered mm -hmm. by Google search and type in air layering mm -hmm. and it will get you to that publication. Uh, it, it has, okay. there are pictures of what to do and how to do it. You will find a lot of information online for 800 ways to do an air layer. Uh, the, okay. the idea is just there's a wound on the branch and when you have a wound, you get callus tissue and from the callus tissue roots can be differentiated and begin to grow there. Uh, and then you wrap it, you know, you're wrapping it with soil or, or potting mix or sphagnum peat moss, putting plastic around mm -hmm. it. If it's where the sun will shine on it, wrap the plastic, the final wrap would be aluminum foil to reflect heat out. Uh, but an indoor oh. house plant, you probably don't need that. Uh, and then just, just wait and watch uh, and see how it does. Uh, fiddly okay. fig is not too terribly difficult to root. It's not super, super easy, but it, 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 it'll, it'll root pretty well. Um, well, it's going to take me a long time because, I, I, like I said, I have two huge plants. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, well, but they've been outdoors all, all year. Yeah. But well, they're good. in the shade. Well, and with the clear plastic, and, and I would use clear, uh, you can just watch. Mm -hmm. And when you see roots forming, give it a little bit more time. Occasionally, um, uh, Carol, you may have to sort of open up the plastic and put some water in there. If it has roots, it's mm -hmm. going to be pumping water out of that. Uh, but once it's done, then you can cut it off below the roots and pot it up and you're ready to go. Okay, great. And when you do okay. that, by the way, whatever stump you leave of your fiddle leaf fig, there's a good chance that it'll sprout some new shoots from below, oh, okay. from that good. stump. So it'll look a little better. <laughs> yeah, you'd have a multi-headed multi, multi -headed, uh, tree that way. Yeah, okay, great. That sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I sure appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, plant propagation is a lot of fun. Uh, uh, learning how to grow seeds as transplants, that is a that is an art that's not that difficult to learn. Uh, but there are just some principles to follow. But when you can do that, then in, when you go to a garden center, they may have, I don't care if they have 20 varieties of tomatoes for sale. Uh, when you grow your own transplants, you can have a thousand varieties of tomatoes, however many you can find seeds of all over the place. And my gosh, there's a lot of them. Uh, and so any variety is yours. Uh, that's a cool thing about growing your own seed. Uh, and if you want to propagate, learning to root cuttings, learning to do air layers, and learning to do tip layering, those are three really important skills that allow you to make more plants, to create more plants out of what you're growing. So it's really pretty simple, uh, but a little skills and a little practice. And don't be afraid to fail. Listen, I think it was J.C. Ralston or one of these guys that said, uh, to be a good horticulturist, you got to kill a lot of plants. <laughs> so here's your permission. I'm giving you permission to kill 100 plants to learn how to air layer, tip layer, root cuttings, and start seeds. <laughs> Have fun. Thanks for listening to Garden Success. We'll be back next Thursday. Thursday. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.